Welcome to the Volrath Feed, episode number two. I'm your host, Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef at the Volrath Company. And joining me today is our producer, Justin Pearson. Hey, everyone. Justin, very good. And uh, later on the program, we'll be joined by Chef Jeremy McGovern. He's a chef in the Chicago area. He's doing something pretty unique these days, so we'll be talking to him a little bit later. Uh, first off today, though, I think we want to talk about one of my favorite things to make that um, actually over time and for many, many years, I guess, has been talked about and more lately, I guess, even maybe proven to help lessen the effects of colds and flus. It's chicken soup. Uh, you know, they talk about it, right? Chicken soup, good for the soul, good for the body, uh, just a good, good comfort food. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think we're in danger of anybody accusing us of being scientists, but we did come across some really great articles that help add support to the idea that chicken soup is good for you in the sense that it'll help you get through that cold or flu that much quicker. Right. I think, you know, one of the couple of theories or one of the things they're focusing on is, is getting rid of the, the uh, viruses or, you know, helping your body defend against the viruses is part of it as well. But uh, one of the things that just came out recently, I saw from GNC talked about zinc, you know, zinc in the, in the meat and other ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things that my wife has me take when I'm curled up on the couch with one of those Superman colds, those zinc lozenges. The, the poultry actually, I think is what they're finding is got the zinc in it. Many foods, red meat, zinc, um, some plant-based foods, beans, nuts, grains, things like that have zinc in them, I guess. That's one of them. And then just the fact that it's hot, it's a comfort food, right? And you, you feel better you, you in your mind. Maybe it's a placebo. Maybe I don't know. But as you said, we're not scientists here, but just feeling good. It's got to help you get better, right? Oh, yeah. 100% agree. Yeah. There was a there was actually a study conducted a number of years ago coming out of Carnegie Mellon University, and they basically concluded that people with a positive attitude produced fewer signs and symptoms of illness. And really, when you're sick, the last thing you want to do is be bummed out about it. So, you know, for me, having a nice big bowl of chicken soup Reminds me of being a kid, staying at home from school, watching daytime television. You know, Price is Right was always the thing for me. When that came on, I knew there was no chance of going back to school for that day. So this definitely brings back positive vibes for me. Bob Barker, you're a Barker fan, right? Oh, yeah, you know it. Help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed or neutered. <laughs> Dreaming about spinning that wheel and winning to showcase definite highlight of being sick as a kid. You know, but talking about kids, um, a lot of parents, you know, they don't want to give their kids medications and things. So they're saying that, especially young people, chicken soup may be better than over-the-counter meds. So there's evidence to this. Now, this one of the most talked about uh, science uh, studies done by Dr. Stephen Renard of the University of Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha. He wanted to see if there was anything to this or not. So he started with his wife's homemade recipe, which was handed down by her Lithuanian grandmother. Oh, yeah. I'm already on board. Right? Right? How can that one be bad? That's got to be just right now. I'm thinking it's fantastic. But he, he actually took blood samples from volunteers and showed that the soup inhibited the movement of neutrophils hmm. in the body. Neutrophils. Which is, I guess, part of the white blood cell that defends against infection and, you know, all that stuff. So, like we said, we're not scientists on this one, but that is 
I think the closest I've read to anybody actually looking at it and tying it to the soup that it does help. You can actually go on the University of Nebraska's website and find this chicken soup recipe. Pretty cool. So if you want to have the original soup that's on the website, go to the University of Nebraska's website and you can search for grandma's soup recipe. Yeah. And I think what we'll also do is is post a link to that recipe on our webpage. There you go. Yeah. And we can print out a PDF of the a recipe. So it, it's basically real quickly here, just uh, chicken, of course. Chicken. Ah, I see. Stewing hen or baking chicken, chicken wings, onions, sweet potatoes, parsnips, turnips, carrots, celery, parsley, salt and pepper. So pretty straightforward stuff. Right on. So that is um, kind of the science behind chicken soup. But, you know, that's all good chicken soup, I think, starts from a good stock. You know, that, that base of the soup. And this is, um, this is something I enjoy. I, I, chicken soup, as I said earlier, one of my favorite things to make, especially when it's cold. I love um, a good pot of soup on the stove. And to me, a good stock, you know, stocks and broths, right? Stocks are that richer flavor where you're boiling vegetables in there and the bones and the meat, and you're getting really good, hearty, deeper flavor than you get just from a, a broth. A broth um, is just a lighter flavor. I think a, a broth, we used to just parboil a chicken once in a while. That's kind of a brothy flavor, chicken broth, where a stock is that hearty, heartier flavor. And a, and a good broth, when you chill it down, you ever notice like when you cook a chicken or you cook something in a pan, if you put that in your refrigerator, those those juices will actually end up like jello a little bit, right? Jiggly. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the more difficult flavors to find in the jello aisle. <laughs> exactly. That's the collagen uh, from the bones that's come out. And that's part of what gives you that that deep, rich flavor. So uh, as I said, it, it's something I really enjoy. And, and this is something simple that anybody can do. In, in the restaurant world, you learn real quick, you don't throw anything away that can be used. You're not going to make any money when you put something in the garbage can. So, yeah, as my grandma used to say, waste not, want not, which probably explains the extra pounds I'm carrying around. Well, <laughs> but you know, when you're when you're working and you're 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 buying chickens whole, right? So you clean up the chicken. There's all those little pieces that you cut off as well, the trim, right, or whatever. And if you save those, even in your home, like we buy chicken. If I cut it up myself, I'll take the back out of the middle. I'll take the tips off the wings. I'll cut that piece off the back where the, I don't know what the official term for it is. I should know this, but we always call it the greaser. <laughs> um, <laughs> <it's> that, <laughs> that piece on the end, I don't know what we call it, but, and you put all those in a little bag and put them in the freezer. And then when you get enough of those little bags, we take them out, we make stock. So, you know, the, the easiest way I, I think to make stock is I just put all those little parts in a stock pot. I uh, cover them with water enough just to cover them by maybe a couple inches. And then cold water, of course, and then bring that water and chicken parts uh, pieces to the to the boiler, just to the boil. And what you'll see happening is there's going to be some foam, foam, or in the restaurant world, it's called scum. Ooh, but yum. it's that stuff that floats to the top that you'll want to take off. And it's really easy to do. It's actually kind of easy to take off. It's it's it holds together pretty well. And just take a spoon or a ladle and just get underneath it and take it out of there because that's the stuff that if you continue to leave it in there, it's not really going to harm you. It just kind of makes the stock kind of cloudy and hmm. I don't know, some people don't like it, but um, that's another reason why I don't season anything until I get that out. 
right? Well, I mean, why would I want to put my salt or my pepper or anything else in there and then take it out potentially, right? So no seasoning until that's out. Mm, yeah, that, that makes sense. So once the stock is hot or the, the liquid is hot, now I will add in the other things that I want to use to make my flavorful stock. So in the classic world, you'll have a mirepoix, it's called, we call it in culinary world. It's basically onions, carrots, and celery. And about half of it should be onions, 50%. And then typically they'll say carrots and celery, the other 25%. I find I like a little more carrot than celery. So what I'll do is I'll like peel my vegetables that I'm going to use in my in my soup and then all the peelings from the carrots, I'll add that in there along with my carrots. And you want to dice all these onions, carrots, and celery up a little bit. It doesn't have to be a fine dice like here for soup. It's big chunks. It just helps it cook and you get the flavor out of it. Mm -hmm. And if you cut it into pieces, it just helps to, um, to allow that flavor to come out a little bit faster. If the pieces are too small, you know, it's, you're just going to degrade it and it's going to turn mushy and break down potentially in your, in your, uh, in your stock. So then along with the carrots, onions, and celery, at this time you can add in bay leaves, which is, I think, one of those other things that you put into a stock that really gives it that flavor of being homemade bay leaves, about three, four bay leaves, depending on, well, again, how much chicken you're putting in. I'm thinking if I'm in my head looking at this pot, I would have maybe six pounds of chicken. I'd put in maybe three onions, maybe four carrots, three celery, something in there. Um, and then if, again, this point, I would add maybe salt or if I'm going to build the stock up a little bit beyond what that chicken normally would flavor, I'll put in at this time some bouillon or some base, chicken base. That base has got salt in it already, so I don't want to salt and add the base or the bouillon, one or the other. And again, along with your other things, thyme, you can put a little parsley in if you want, but that's that's basically just a good soup stock recipe right there. I think what we should do is we should put this on our website, right? Oh, yeah. We'll definitely put this up there on our page along with Dr. Renard's grandmother's recipe. And then people can give that a try and really come out with a killer soup. I know I'll be giving it a whirl and I'll bring some feedback when, when I make it and hopefully I do it right. But we'd also like to hear your feedback and see how it turned out for you. And, you know, Rich, I'm a big soup guy. I make a lot of soups at home. But I end up buying a lot of stocks and broths from the store. And I also end up throwing all those bits and pieces of chicken that you're talking about. I end up throwing those away. And I don't know if I was just intimidated to try it on my own or didn't feel like I had enough time. But from how you just described it, it sounds really pretty easy to accomplish. Something that anybody could really do. No, I think you're right. I think that's why a lot of people, as we say, buy the the cut up chicken already because you just not sure about that whole thing, right? Rather than buying a chicken and having to cut it. But if you do that enough, first of all, you're going to save money buying a oh, whole yeah. chicken. It's amazing what the butcher gets for chopping it up and taking pieces out because they clean up all those pieces we're talking about saving. And um, you just keep those in your freezer, have a, you know, small little baggies or something. And when you get enough of them, you boil them up. You're not, there isn't any way really to, to not get stock from this, right? Uh, if you take all those pieces out and just boil them by themselves, you taste that water, it's going to taste like chicken. You're that mm -hmm. much further ahead than if you were just going to make soup from bouillon or some other method, right? If you've just boiled the bones with nothing else, you're going to have good flavorful stock. 
that it's just that that's a good bone stock that you get from boiling up all those pieces. When you make your soup, you know, then you, that's where you put in the the other carrots and celery and turnips and parsnips things we talked about with Dr. Renard's soup. But if you start from this good base and then you build it with those other things, you're going to have a fantastic soup. And then of course, there's other things you can finish with. We talked, you know, my, one of my favorite soups, um, chicken dumpling. I love chicken dumpling. Chicken dumpling. Yeah. I, I kind of have a love hate relationship with chicken dumpling. You know, I, I really like it when it's done well, but it seems like a lot of people, you know, just don't do it right. Or, or, or it just, sits around too long and gets soggy and mushy or, ugh, you know, it's, it's, you know, how, how does somebody go about making a quality dumpling? That was our, every Sunday soup in my dad's restaurant was chicken dumpling. And it's really easy. What we do now is just take, um, eggs. So if I'm again, imagining this bowl of eggs, uh, I would say maybe four or five eggs. I'm going to put in there maybe uh, half a teaspoon salt. I'm going to put in a quarter teaspoon onion powder. I'm going to put in um, maybe a teaspoon, a tablespoon of parsley flake. Again, maybe what I'll do here is I'll put together a little recipe. We'll put this on the website yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get that up there. And uh, I'm putting a lot of faith in you, Rich, when uh, you're telling me that it's easy. <laughs> okay, so hold off on all those. Uh, I'll, I'll get you the, the good recipe here. For all right, all right. But um, they're super easy. And uh, what we use is a spetzel maker. You ever heard of spetzels? Spetzel, like shaman. Spetzel. <laughs> yes. I'm murdering that. I deeply That's apologize. Exactly. I'll never do that again. We are. We are. My my German exchange student right now would be shaking his head at me. I think it's, <laughs> I think the, now don't laugh at me, everyone, if you know this. It's Spätzle, Spätzle, Spätzle. Maybe that's it. I'll be sure to research it. But anyway, we use what we called a Spätzle maker. And it's basically a device that has um, a funnel and it slides across a piece of metal that has perforated or holes in it. And what you do is when you're sliding it, that batter now that we're going to make with the eggs that I didn't finish. Uh, I'm telling you about, but uh, we're going to take that and we're going to slide it back and forth, and they're going to drop through the holes in the bottom, and that forms then like a little dumpling that's about the size of an olive. Mm, you know, yeah. so when you're eating it, it's easier to eat. Oh yeah, yeah. I like I like that size much better. I've I've had some that were like the size of an egg, and I'm just like, well, this is a little bit more work than I signed up for. Yeah, that that's big, and that's like a spoon dumpling. Sometimes people take a spoon and then take another spoon and kind of use it to to uh, take that batter off into the to the boiling stock but it um it's it's pretty large you're right and then you're end up with trying to cut it with a spoon in the bowl yeah. which is just difficult just awkward yeah right so um it's chicken dumpling uh, chicken noodle chicken rice you can put a lot of dish starches in there and, and those are the things when we talk about some of the health values i think too when we you know when you're sick you need you need nourishment right and those are the good uh carbohydrates that help your, give your body some energy, those those extra starches that we put in the soup after um, or we add to our soups when we're done making our good stock. Okay, next on the feed, we will be speaking with our guest uh, who is joining us from Chicago today. We're going to be talking to Chef Jeremy McGovern. And he is, as I said, welcome uh, to the show, Chef Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here today. Oh no! Thank you. We, we it's our appreciate pleasure. having you here. 
Thank you. Hey, so let's get uh, started here and just talk a little bit about you and, and your background and, and how'd you get into cooking? That's always something I, I like to ask uh, chefs. I think everybody's got their own story on that. Can you just tell us a little of that? Sure, absolutely. Well, initially it started off as like a kid, you know, growing up, first job and whatnot. I, I still remember it vividly to this day. My first job was at Harner's Bakery in North Aurora, Illinois. And it was something about it, like they allowed me to flip bacon on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday weekend. And then just that one task, that's all they allowed me to do for their brunch <laughs> is bacon and sausage. That was my gig. Nothing else. Don't step out of position. And <laughs> it catapulted. You got started, right? Yeah, no, it, it, it's very, it, they took bacon and sausage very serious, which now as a culinarian, I take, you know, bacon is almost a priority. <laughs> I know I started as a young kid as well. It gives you a lot of great experience early on. It does. You know, it teaches you a lot. It, it keeps you, you know, you learn a lot of the basics there and, you know, prepare your station, keep track of your station. And then, then you could explore into something else, but learn your station first. Oh, that's a, that's such a good skill. Like people today, I'll even talk to all of it. Get your station set. That's so important. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, great experience for sure. So what, uh, what was the next level for you? Um, then after that, I, I ended up uh, grad or going to like a DECA and culinary arts program within the school, high school I went to. And then that after the high school, I, I really appreciate it there. I did some touring and, you know, some little minor local competitions with that. And then I went into college originally throughout high school. I was a wrestler, three-time state IHSA uh, wrestler. And then seeing what class did you, did you weigh? Um, I was definitely a heavyweight. I was a uh, two seventy five plus um, All right. heavyweight wrestler for uh, Gordon Tech High School in Chicago is where I re my wrestling club was. And yeah, it was it, it was really good. I thought that was the career I was going to go. I, I thought that was the college you know route because I had a full ride scholarship to Iowa Hawkeye, and I, I, I declined it. Oh wow. Yeah, I actually wow. uh, declined it to go to culinary school because for me, I just never thought like hitting the books for four years in a very structured type, you know, you know, education or university. But then I ended up uh, graduating from CIA, Culinary Institute of America out of Hyde Park, New York, with a bachelor's degree wow. in culinary arts. A lot of people don't have that that passion, that drive sure. that, right, right out of high school to know what they're going to do. And, uh, you know, I'm quite honest, a bit envious of anybody who, who does. So it's, it's nice that you were able to have that career path in your heart. Yeah. Let me ask you something about that wrestling. I also was a high school wrestler, huh. heavyweight class well, did pretty well. You know, do you find that some of those, that, that work ethic from wrestling kind of rolls into your career? I find it like wrestlers are always good employees. You definitely need to forget about everything else that's around you and focus on what is in front of you and execute until you follow through. That's great advice. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It gets you ready. You know, it teaches you a lot of uh, basics and fundamentals of dealing with stress, press, pressure, and, you know, your emotions. And you got a little grit. Yeah, no, absolutely. You definitely need a little wear. That's right. A bit. So, Where'd you, where'd you end up with uh, out of uh, culinary school? Um, after uh, culinary school, I came back to Chicago and um, I stepped into the kitchens of one of the greats that we still look, I, I, I look up to. And is my, my personal, he, he set the culinary scene here in Chicago, Charlie Trotter. You know, I, I had the 
pleasure to yeah. stage for him for two years. Awesome. Got great experience there, I'm sure. Absolutely. Some of the best, you know, cl very classical French. You know, he really cared about everything he, he was doing in this kitchen. And it was mandatory for all of his staff to do it as well. If you had to sum up that experience in, in one sentence uh, or even one word, uh, what, what would you put that at? The experience in itself, it, it, it was an honor. Like, there's no other way to say it. Everything that we've dealt with. All, all of the, you know, all of the hard times, all of the pressure that Charlie set on us, it is unlike any pressure that we could under, undergo today in our career. He broke us when we were early, when we were young, and we, we moved on for that. And, you know, as I, I always say, my career, nobody could ever break me as hard as Charlie did. <laughs> and it, it, good, bad, right or wrong, nobody will ever break me down like Charlie did. It's such a, a common theme you hear about a lot of people that have been in this business, the workload you have to put in the hours and, sure. and the mentors that that uh, put you through that stuff. And at the time, you're thinking you know, a lot of things about them that eh, maybe <laughs> aren't always so complimentary. But after a while, you look back and reflect and you think, boy, that really made me better. Right. There's some of the best things, you know, different things in which he teaches you or different methods or how to do it or, you know, different product. It's it's just this is why we do it. And it's a way of life now. And even, you know, 18 years being in the industry, it's the only way you operate. So from Charlie Trotter, you, did you have any other big names, uh, places you worked um, at? Absolutely. I've worked with Paul Cahan, David Burke. Um, and then I went into the corporate side of things and out of the independent restaurants and then went into the corporate, um, and did a lot with, uh, cheesecake factory for a little while. I was a area director for them within the Midwest had uh, 12 locations and I don't know about, it was a huge organ. It was a huge operation. We had, a, we had a lot here in the Midwest. It was one of the largest producing areas. That's gotta be like a very high stress position. I would imagine. Still to this day, I say cheesecake factory is one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. They demand a lot out of you. So the, I've, I've also read, uh, he spent some time uh, with uh, Bill Murray and their, operation that they set up uh, a couple years back in Chicago or is it right by the airport there? It is absolutely. I've, I've had a great time meeting up with those guys and having him um, new construction build out. Essentially I consulted and was his opening executive chef, um, new construction build out, designed the kitchen, just did all the layout. So it was very fortunate on my end to experience that as you know, from ground up construction and being a part of it, you know, building something new, it was outstanding. Very cool. Bill's a really good guy, you know, genuinely good hearted. One of the kindest people you'll ever meet. He is as genuine as he seems on film. I, I've, I've heard that from multiple people and every single person has the exact same story to tell about him. So it's just, it's awesome to, to hear that reaffirmed once again. That's so cool. Those experiences we all put together. So, you know, something I read about you and I, I kind of get want to talk, start talking here about your um, what you got going in Chicago right now. Sure. Uh, all these experiences that you've had and you've worked with a lot of people in the industry and what you're doing now, you know, you're talking about giving back to your industry family, those people that you forge these these great bonds with and this relationship with. And now you find yourself in a position that you want to give back to them. So. I guess just tell us a little bit of what you're doing in Chicago right now. So currently what we're doing is we're providing, you know, up to or over a hundred free meals a day 
for any industry worker that needs it or that comes and gets it. We're not, you know, we're not saying no to anybody in these times right now. It's very difficult times. And I've had a lot of people, you know, the support that we've been able to give in the last five days that we've been running this program now, it's, it's, it's been absolutely incredible, but yeah, it's, it's beautiful. We're handing out meals, very square meals, a starch, a protein, a vegetable, a dessert. All of our meals fortunately have been given to us. I haven't, I've, I haven't taken in any cash donations. It's something that I'm against with our industry. I think there's enough resources out there that we should be able to gather them and offer them and then put our, our abilities to the test and our ability as a chef is to cook. Absolutely. And, you know, what are, what are the people like or how are your guests, your family members here now we're talking about um, responding to this? They, they've got to just be so appreciative. They're very appreciative. They're, a lot of them are very concerned and, you know, very worried about what's going on. And, you know, I've had one yesterday that was very moved and in tears and was, you know, thanking us up and down. And, you know, it's, I, I, I email them. And then as I have guests come to dinner, I, I email them the following day to invite them back. And the turnout is huge, but yes, no, it's just very moving, very emotional. It's, 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 it's tough. You know, it sometimes it wears, but you know, I, I always just try to keep it positive because we're doing something great here and we just want to keep going with that momentum and, you know, try to put everything that's happening behind us, but still strive for the what we're what we're doing here, and that's providing a restaurant quality meal to our family in the industry because that's what we do. We feed each other. At the core of why we became what or why I became a chef at the end of the day, it was to feed and to get reaction and to make people happy. So that's what we're doing. Oh, you're awesome. you're extending you're extending the industry. I mean. Those of us that have worked in the hospitality industry, we get to be a part of people's you know, greatest days, their biggest celebrations, their happy times, their close times, their sad times, you know, funerals and everything. So it's a very emotional business. And I, I hear you talking a lot about that emotional connection. I think that's that's absolutely what being in this industry can be, it's a very emotional attachment to to the people we work with and people we serve, right? Absolutely. We spend Absolutely. more time with our, uh, our family at work than we do sometimes with our family at home. So are you um, planning these menus or how are you deciding on what you're serving? Is it, you mentioned donations. So are you just like rolling with it in the morning, looking at your supplies and saying, here's what we're doing. I mentioned, I, I know you talked a little bit about what tomorrow is. How far out are you planning this? Um, it's, I have roughly a week. I'm trying to plan internally a week out. But on social media, I, I post the menu the morning of maybe 9 a.m., 10 a.m. is kind of like my go time to post the menu online. And I, I look at what residuals I have left from the previous night's dinner and how and I can incorporate that into the next meal or just simply on, you know, what our resources is and what our supplies are and, you know, try to vary what needs to get made that day and not. But it's, it's very much on the whim. We started last Friday and, you know, we've been going strong every day and our intentions are to keep it going until we are able to return to our kitchens. Uh, this is not a light undertaking. I mean, to, to, to come up with this and organize it in such a short amount of time, what are some of the major challenges you were faced early on and then continue to be faced with that you're overcoming? Um, logistics. It's um, 
a lot of vendors are, you know, shutting down and getting supplies and stuff of that sort. So I'm having to go to all of these manufacturers or these, these companies and pick up the materials myself to bring them back to my home and then prepare the meal because I, I'm, Besides one one of my buddies that I have cooking with me, I'm I'm solely the only other person behind this, and wow, um, running you know running meeting vendors trying to get them to negotiate. But the absolute biggest thing that has been the hardest thing is the fact that I don't have a 501c for a tax. You know, mm. majority of everybody wants something as you know a way to write it off, and I'm just one chef trying to feed our industry. I'm I'm not a company. I'm 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 not a nonprofit. I'm just a chef trying to help people eat man. Well, just the right at the core of it, that's it, right? Just a chef trying to help people. That's eat, it. And we're like, well, we family. tax ID number. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I don't have that. And, you know, that closes a lot of doors for bigger organizations, and which I, I totally understand because we, we all have to keep track of what, what we're doing financially. Aside from the 501C, uh, any other lessons learned or advice the uh, things that net that you've navigated through already you've only been at this a short time there's there's going to be a lot of stuff you've yet to, to uh, work through but anything up to this point you lessons learned uh, surprises uh, things that you just had to fight through that you could help anybody else who's thinking about doing something like yeah, this sometimes it gets a little discouraging in the beginning when we were only serving one and two meals a day you know but it's it was a little you know took the wind out of your sails a little bit in the beginning because it's like all that effort all that all that work everything then then you serve two meals a day but then you have to i you know the second day i look past that i'm like those two meals a day mean more to anybody than the efforts or the time that I've put into preparing that meal. So that is the, that is the pleasure. That is the enjoyment right there, whether it's two meals or a hundred meals, it's what we're meaning to do is being done and, you know, feeding. How about setting up your kitchen? Like if if you were to give any advice to someone planning a ghost kitchen, what advice, anything on equipment? I mean, how are you deciding what equipment to buy? Are you looking at, you know, is what's the most flexible, what fits in the best space? Is it portability? Is it, what is it that you're looking at when you're choosing equipment and setting up ghost kitchens? Sorry, uh, a ghost kitchen. With your head so you don't have to use your feet. Um, ah, right. You always want to create a fluid motion. Less steps you make, the better off in the end of the day. So it's all about, you know, having continuity, having a fluid, you know, wasted steps. You want to turn and burn. You want to flow through the kitchen. You don't want to have too much crossover and stuff. So the best way that, you know, going about picking the equipment or the needs, smallwares or stuff of that sort, it's what is going to be most effective and how am I going to get the best efficiency out of the product, the equipment and the time invested in taking care of it. What's, what's the growth looking like, um, for you right now? Are you, uh, we don't know how long we're going to be in, in this scenario and, are you looking at reaching more people? Are you just planning on staying at max capacity where you're at? Um, I would love to reach more people, but with that, we would probably have to, you know, get some more hands in, some more, you know, maybe have to team up with another restaurant or another, you know, group of a bunch of chefs or cooks that are looking to do the same thing without, you know, ideally my goal is to take no mon- no monies in whatsoever. I, I want no monetary donations. I just want to do it off of the resources that we're able to gather. How can people? How can people get a hold of you to uh, to help with with your cause or expand it? Um, just you know, the best way to help with it is like spreading the word out there. You know, our, our bunch of team 
players that I have on my side, we're trying to do social media blasts every hour, get it out there, tag as many people and repost grassroots efforts, just trying to tag who you think yeah. will tag back and hopefully we could we could get it going. And we've had, you know, from our first day to now, we've had a 50% increase day over. That's no, fantastic numbers there. We'll be sure to to put your Instagram and everything, your Facebook in, in the link on the website here so that people know how to get a hold of you and, and contact you if with any way that they can contribute to, to your cause here. That's great. We appreciate it. You know, meals five o'clock sharp every day. What's been the most well-received dish so far? And then also what has been your favorite one that you've created? Believe it or not, so far the most well-received dish, and it was kind of a little blown away. It was more the casualest of the comfort dishes that I've made was a very simple shepherd's pie. I, you know, the night that we made it, we had some of the bigger local food bloggers in town. And still to this day, you know, Anthony is, you know, texting me and saying, oh my God, chef, this was the best shepherd's pie we've ever had, you know, et cetera. And it, it was the one that I was, you know, just putting it together because the previous day we actually had a really nice braised short rib, nice mashed potato, nice gravy. And it just made sense for me that next day we had some residuals because it was the first night that we did our meal. And so we started with a really nice short rib. And then that second day, it was just using the residual product and shredded it up and made a really nice shepherd's pie base and topped it with the potatoes. And it was outstanding. And then today, actually, I know you mentioned what is my favorite meal currently. Um, outside of Sunday, every Sunday we're doing like pasta Sundays, I, you know, Irish Italian roots. I used to have family meal for me as a kid growing up was, you know, Sunday sauce, Sunday pasta with grandma and every, the whole family would get together. So that's kind of a tradition in this process we're starting. We're going to do Sunday night pasta Every Sunday, it will be some form of spin of pasta, and we'll we'll gather around and you know do family meal the way I I, I remember it as a child. I was reading about the Sunday sauce, and uh, there, there's some really positive comments about that. So, I, at some point, I would like to give that a yeah. Whirl. No, absolutely, it, it's it's delicious, man. We we could send you some stuff up there wherever you're at. Oh yeah, send me food. I'm down. Yeah, right. <laughs> I wrestle in the heavyweight class too. Right? Are right? you kidding yeah. me? All of us here, we're all heavyweights. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna ask you, um, Chef. Uh, you know, working for these mentors that you've worked in, and, and traditional mentors, you talk about breaking you. I'm sure. <laughs> I am 100 percent sure you have had a few memorable days, a few memorable lines or quotes that uh, your mentors and, and uh, co-workers have used throughout the years. Do you have any great quote that uh, you'd like to share with people, like a, a, one of your favorite quotes either you live by or you just remember as something that um, shaped you? Or... Um, two, actually. Um, one of them is a very simple one, and then the other one is a little bit more detailed that I'm going to have to pull up right quick. Um, but the first one is uh, write it down because paper never forgets. All my cooks are, you know, you, we all, all of a sudden when we walk into the coolers, we tend to forget, what, you know, it's like we forget everything once we walk into a walk-in cooler. So big thing I preach, to, you know, or not preach, I'm sorry. Um, big thing I speak of with my cooks is that, you know, just to write it down, you know, paper never forgets. It's always crucial to uh, keep that 
on as a way to remember what you're doing because you know save again saving steps if you have to go back to your station to try to remember what you're doing it's going to be a lot more difficult and a lot more time that last one is where you know it it, it rains very very deep to me and um the last quote is one of the most beautiful things that i could do for you or that anyone could do for another is to serve each other and that was uh directly quoted by chef charlie trotter nice that's a mantra we could all stand to live by and, and make the world a little bit better place. Absolutely. Right. Well, uh, Chef, I think, um, first of all, let me just say thank you again. And what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you for taking care of that family of ours. All these people that uh, are in our industry, we, we treat each other as family and you're you're looking out for them. And God bless you for it. We appreciate it very much. Um, doing what you're doing just out of the kindness of your heart, trying to put this together for them is just fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. Thank I you. I greatly appreciate your support. Yes. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you for your support and thank you, Volrath. Okay. Well, that is it for today, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. And once again, uh, thank you, Chef Jeremy McGovern for yeah. uh, telling us all about his great work that he's doing down in Chicago. I, I just can't tell you enough how much I, I can relate to what he's saying with the industry being a family, people in hospitality. It's, once you're in it, you're, you're, you understand what we're talking about with part of this family. And I, I thank him for what he's doing. I know those people are uh, so appreciative of, of everything he's doing. Yeah. For yeah, what an incredible guy. It was it was absolute pleasure having him on. All right. So uh, next time on the feed, we will discuss sanitation, uh, the NSF mark on products. What does that mean? And we'll have a special guest to help us discuss other items that uh, help keep your kitchen safe. You know, Justin, did you know silver, you know, naturally occurring silver that we mine out of the ground actually has something in it that helps keep your kitchen safe? Yeah, you know, I, I have heard that before. And isn't that why silverware was primarily made of silver back in the day? Very good. We're going to talk about that next time, though. Uh, and that's going to be one of the topics we discuss on the feed, our next episode. So uh, speaking of topics, by the way. If you have thoughts about a topic you'd like to hear or comments on something we've covered on the show, please visit us at volrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. We would love to hear from you. So, Justin, any parting words? Yeah, well, I'd just like to remind everybody to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Once again, we got a lot of great topics and a lot of great chefs coming down the pipeline. And remember, in whatever you do, don't worry about the other guy. Just do what you do best, and no one's going to beat you. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.